an Aberdonian accent for the next few hours. I've put together, so far I've spoken to 140 people who have written books about football, and the grand total of two of them, you being the second, actually played professional football. Oh, well, there you go. That's a, well, I'm going to say it's a first, but it's not. It's a second. Well, it's a respectable okay. second. Ricky Hill was my first, who uh, wrote a book about bringing over the Rooney rule from the States to, to enable black coaches to try and get some foothold in the English game. Um, but you are a, a very good second. I remember Ricky Hill, yeah. Uh, well, he worked in America <laughs> predominantly. Okay, okay, let's see how we go. I just did that. I've only been out of hospital. I think it's just over three weeks. Yes, I, I read um, you've got, you had pneumonia. Have you, are you having to manage that? Yeah. The funny thing was, I mean, uh, the book, The Lost Shankly Boy, was published in September last year. And, um, you know, I, I was taken into hospital in August last year, had a five-way heart bypass. So I had that done successfully, and it came out, and I got 100% fit. I was walking 10,000 steps a day, looking really good, looking forward to getting back on the golf course. And then I was struck down in March with this bacterial double pneumonia. That was touching go, really. I mean, at one stage, they brought my wife and sons in and said I probably wouldn't last the night. Um, it was looking that bad. Bit of a tough situation for 24, 48 hours. But um, I, managed to, I managed to get the, the CPAP mask on. You know the mask that they put on the COVID victims? Yes. And uh, I had that on for 12 nights and uh, that plus the antibiotics eventually eventually cleared it. So I'm on the recovery process now. It's probably going to be a few months before I'm 100%, maybe up to three, four months. But I'm doing good. I, I think it was three weeks last Friday I came out, and I'm doing most things now domestically that I did before. And I'm out walking around, the, around where I live um, with my wife, and I've driven the car once. So it's early days, but uh, I just thought I'd make you aware of that in case... You hear me coughing a couple of times. No, I'd, I'd expected that. But you are on the Wirral Peninsula, beautiful Birkenhead. Yes, yes. We, live on the, well, we live in Bebbington, which is about ten, 10 miles from Liverpool on one side and same distance from Chester on the other. Oh, great. I spoke to a Chester fan who told me about the perils of Chester City being wound up and Chester FC. But more pertinently yeah. to today, Mark Palios or Mark and Nicola Palios are steering Tranmere back into... They shouldn't have gone down last year. They should have gone up this year. Uh, they're too good for that division and not good enough for League One. So Tranmere are kind of a bouncy castle of a football club, but it could be yeah, so much yeah, worse. It should be. They, they, they didn't make it this year, but they, do, they should be a division higher at least. They've got the spectators, they've got the fan base in the stadium and everything's there really. I mean, they just need to get a bit of consistency and hopefully next year they can get back up. Yeah. Um, and of course, if there are particular Liverpool lads who played in this FA Youth Cup final last night as we talk, it's the 25th of May, something quite important happened for Liverpool, but we'll get to that. Uh, but yes, Liverpool fell to Aston Villa last night in the FA Youth Cup final. Uh, do you reckon you will console the, the kids who, who the point, my point was they may well end up playing for Tranmere or Blackpool, which is where Neil Critchley is now. Uh, but you'll be able to sympathise with a defeated FA Youth Cup finalist. Yeah, I watched the game last night, actually, funny enough. And um, Liverpool were taking a part of it in the first half, but they came back strongly in the second half. They've got some good players, and Villa had some good players. The standard, I thought, was very high. Yeah, I could console them, because, I mean, it's 50, how many years now? 53, 54 years since we played the FA Youth Cup final. And we were the first Liverpool team to get there. And we should have won it. I mean, there's no question about that. In fact, I'm sitting here and I've got my loser's medal in front of me. Oh. Um, 
And then so every time I look at it, I feel gutted. That trophy should have been ours. Really. We, we, we let, let them off the hook in the second leg. I yes. We read the book and we won the first leg 3 1 Anfield. They had about 20, 25,000 there, I think. Um, they were rebuilding the Anfield Road stand at the time. We had a really good team. We had Tommy Smith and you know um, myself and Bobby Graham and a few others. And we really had a strong team and we beat them well at Anfield. But at Anfield, they had, well, at both games, you had a lad called John Sissons playing on the left wing, who was a very well known player for West Ham. Um, playing, I think he played in the cup final later on. Mm. And Harry Redknapp, famous Harry Redknapp, was 17. He was on the right wing. When we played at Anfield, Shankly said to Tommy Smith, he said, uh, I want this boy Sissons in the bandbox. Ten minutes, Tommy. I want him in the bandbox. He's too quick. Mm-hmm. And Tommy obliged. Tommy gave him a bit of a kick. And as he, as he hobbled off, he was indicating to his colleagues on the bandbox, number four is a cycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually... I consulted Harry Redknapp's book. He's written four of them, so you've got some way to go, although we are celebrating The Lost Shankly Boy, which you, George Scott, have written with Jeff Golding, uh, which is available right. for £10 on Kindle. So if you want an electronic copy, uh, you can get a good deal. Yeah, I think it's 1999 in the shops. It's 14, I think it's 14 75 or something on Amazon. And you're right, it's £9 something on King, yeah. Kindle, yeah. Although we like physical books. But yes, I, I read what Harry Redknapp said. And he said, Martin, I'm going to do the accent, Martin Britt bashed Smith all over the place. Is that true? No, it's not true. <laughs> but what Martin Britt did, he broke our hearts because I think he scored four goals. He said he scored three, and one of them should have been disallowed. Because the referee was Jack Taylor. Oh. Later on, he went on to referee the World, World Cup, Cup final. final Rodney Swindlehurst was our goalkeeper. And the cross came in from Redknapp and he went up and caught on the line and Britt bundled him into the net with a ball. A bit like Nat Loftus did all those years ago Precisely. in the FA Cup final. Yes. And the referee allowed the goal and Shanky was incandescent. And that made the difference really because that goal was the, I think it was the equalising goal with about quite a short time to go. Um, but then again, no complaints. They won it fair and square. They came from like, we scored first at West Ham. We were, we were leading them 4-1. So, I mean, there's no way you know, we should have lost it. But we want to got ourselves to blame. And we were really disappointed. But, you know, we were proud of ourselves to get to the final. Um, and no credit to West Ham. I mean, they, they came back from the dead and won the game. So, but still very disappointing, even all these years later, because it would have been a nice thing to do to win it for Liverpool for the first time. Absolutely, the winner's medal. But it's particularly pertinent for me because I have got a deal to write a book about the FA Youth Cup. The book is From Kids to Champions. And... Right. Uh, because I'm very, very young, I only know through books and through Wikipedia uh, that this stat that West Ham beat Liverpool in the FA Youth Cup final. But to play in front of 25,000 people, quite a partisan crowd, I'd imagine. Um, nerves, feel, yeah. nerves, or were you used to the pressure of putting on a red shirt? Oh, yeah, I wasn't bothered about that. I'd played about 100 games. But I hadn't at that time. I went on to play about 100 games in the Central League team, second team, reserve team. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a leading goal scorer for three consecutive years in Liverpool's reserve team and the most appearances by a mile. So I never had a team. I played regularly every single game. Problem was, there was no substitutes in those days. Yeah. And Liverpool's was so good. I mean, every player was an international and they very rarely got injured. So we had very few chances. And for whatever reason, I didn't quite get the chance. I was 12th man quite a few times, travelling with the team. Uh, but you couldn't get on unless somebody was injured before the game got sick, you know, you had to just sort of, uh, once the game started, that was it, they had to play with 11 men, so I had a very good career at Liverpool, five years, I think, you know, I played 181 games for all Liverpool teams, youth teams, 
junior teams, reserve teams scored, I think it was 70 or 80 goals. And I wasn't even a goal scorer, I was midfield. Yes, you were a number eight. Um, well, certainly you played the yeah. FA Youth Cup in the Bobby Charlton position, as I know it. Yeah, the sad thing for me is the, the last minute of the game, at the cop end of Anfield, I headed a, a diving header and hit the underside of the bar and it bounced down on the line and came out. And for that few inches, uh, that would have given us a lead of 4-1. So it's like the it's like the Dembele chance against Liverpool two years ago. If Dembele had scored that fourth goal, then no matter what exactly. had happened, at, uh, Tommy Smith went on to have a wonderful career and you were his roommate. Was he... Um, expected when the opportunity was given to him to make the first team whose position did he take in the team I wasn't actually Tommy's roommate I played with Tommy and I was an apprentice with Tommy we, we cleaned it, we cleaned the first team's boots together right. and we played in the youth team together and then we played in the reserves together so I think I played about 50 games with Tommy in the reserve team before he got into the first team and Tommy used to be what I would call my minder because I was quite fast skillful quick nippy aggressive and uh, I get kicked quite a lot. And I'm not very big, I'm only five foot six. So Tommy used to come over and have a few words, I think, quietly. And I used to get a bit more space. He was a fantastic player, a wonderful man, Tommy Smith. He was like a, he was like a, a man in a boy's body. Even from 15, you could see he had the power, aggression, confidence. And he went on to be a legend in the club quite deservedly. I was going to ask if Liverpool have a Tommy Smith today. I know Jordan Henderson's been there 10 years uh, we're side of particular skill, uh, but is there have Liverpool had a Tommy Smith kind of player since Tommy Smith? I don't think he could have a Tommy Smith today. He wouldn't survive. Oh, of course. I mean, well, yeah, he'd be playing for Tranmere. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the referees now in the game now are so controlled by television, fourteen, fifteen cameras. Somebody like Tommy, who is a hard player, a physical player as well, as a skillful player, to be honest. But he would, he would get stuck in and he would be, he'd be off, he'd be, he'd be booked. He'd have to temper his game and change. So there's, I don't think there's anybody like him in the game now. I mean, there used to be a few like Tommy in my day. There used to be Ron Harris, Norman Hunter, people that used to get stuck in. Like, yeah, but they were know, horrible. Well, they were. They were horrible, yeah, when they did. But that was the game that we played in mud. We played in mud. We played in, uh, in, in floodlights, uh, one camera, uh, if at all. You know. So it was a different game, really. It was just as passionate. The crowds were just as big, if not bigger. Um, but the game's different now. You've got lightweight boots, lightweight ball. Every pitch is like Wembley was then. I mean, in my day, Wembley was fantastic. It was like a bowling green, like the Masters Golf. Mm. But uh, every, other, every other pitch, when it got to October, November, the mud was down the middle. The only, pe- the only part of the pitch was grass, was the wings. If you look at some of the old film, you'll see that, you know, from George Best and players like those in the 60s and even in the early 70s, the agronomy wasn't so good as it is now, and every pitch is beautiful now. That's the argument. Even triangle. To say who's the best player of all time, uh, there is no answer. Um, but the, you can't, stick, you can't imagine Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Kylian Mbappe on these mud baths. Uh, and similarly, it's very hard to imagine George Best on Green Bay's. It's really, exactly. it's really tough because they're players who were locked in the era. Were there any players, uh, especially from this Liverpool first team, uh, Tommy Lawrence, Ronnie Moran, uh, Ron Yates, Ian yeah. Callaghan, Gordon yeah. Melne, Ian Sinjin, Roger Hunt, could, yeah. could they have played in this Liverpool team under Jurgen? Yes, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, OK, they'd have to be modern fitness, have to be modern, you know, modern. I mean, you've got, you've got to go look at Melwood. I mean, I went to Melwood with Peter Moore, the chairman, and uh, a lad from our Swiss, uh, not Swiss, Swedish Supporters Association, Andy Bear, 
we went to Melwood uh, along with Gordon Wallace about three years ago, two years ago. I was amazed. When I was at Melwood, there was one wooden hut and there was three pitches. One of them was like Wembley, which Shankly is made like that for practice matches. The other two were just normal football pitches. And it was a cricket pavilion. That was it. You had, you had the shooting boards, which Shankly and Bob Paisley put together, which was innovative for training, where you hit the ball against the board, it caught in turn, it hit in, caught in turn. But now, it's like you go into Melwood, there's plunge pools, squash court, um, you know, every modern facility, a five-star restaurant serving the best the most nutritious food. We walked past rooms with computers where people were on computers working out tactics. And the players come in, they get little things put on their ears, they measure the blood. But I mean, the whole thing is just really, really top-notch now um, compared to it was 50 years ago. Yeah, and, and at um, the same time, in a game, you can be offside by a, by a hair's breadth. So the, it's exactly. a game of margins in the way that it wasn't. At the time, I just wanted yeah. to ask where the picture that is on the cover of your book was, which is a lot of players lined up on a wall, some sitting on top of the wall. Is that at Melwood? Yeah, it's quite an iconic photograph. That, that photograph is in the foyer at Melwood. When you walk into Melwood on the right hand side on the wall, that photograph's there with a description of Melwood. It was two, it was two Franciscan friars, one was called Mel, one was called Wood. Oh. And they, that's how Melwood was created from then. And that photograph's in there. Yes, it was It was at Melwood against the wall and the kids were on the wall there. And Shaggy was um, giving us a bit of a lecture. I remember he told me to stand up straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shaggy, you, you, you would not want to slouch anywhere near that gentleman, I think. Stand up straight, son. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ian St. John looked like a ballet dancer. He's standing there with hand and chips. Like he didn't even run anywhere, you know. So it, uh, no, it's an iconic photograph. So Ron Yates is on it as well. Tommy Lawrence is on it, Alf Smith, Jimmy Furnell, um, Gordon Mill. So, you know, it was, uh, it was quite an iconic photograph. Funny enough, the picture, the colour of the actual shirts on the front cover of the book was not accurate. They were, they were like crimson. But for whatever reason, it, they look come up with a sort of a bluish colour. Oh, no, um, we, we can't be having blue, although I am talking to a man, one of your sons is blue and one of your sons is red. Which is your favourite? Well, neither really. I can't see either of them in favour. It's just the way things have worked out. Uh-huh. You know, we, I've, got a, I've got a wonderful relationship with both of them. I mean, in fact, I've just sent a photograph to my oldest son now saying, guess where we were 16 years ago today? And we were in Istanbul. Um, I'll tell you where I back. was. I was, mum and dad had just separated and dad did the single dad thing and taking us to a restaurant on Champions League final night. So I remember driving back, being driven back because uh, I was 16, 17, listening to Five Live. And the first half, I thought, well, surely it's all over. There's no way that Liverpool can come back from 3-0 down in Turkey, in that atmosphere. And little did I know, good thing you had the quintuple bypass last year, because if you didn't have it last year, you'd probably have had it 15 years ago. Because that night uh, would have been spectacular. And there are all sorts of books and stories written about Jersey Dudek, Stephen Gerrard, Vladimir Smeecher, yeah. Didi Haman. Uh, do you have a favourite memory from 16 years ago today? Yeah, well, we went, when we got there, the, the, the stadium, the Atatürk Stadium, it, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's like a spaceship in the middle of nowhere with just scrubland all around. And you can see it from the coaches who were going along with thousands of Liverpool fans. And I remember when we got to the actual stadium itself before the match, uh, we turned around and we looked and we see all these like, little red ants coming down the hill. 
all the Liverpool fans. I couldn't see any Milan fans because they were at the end. But um, and then the atmosphere when we got in there was amazing. But what I remember is uh, when they scored a third goal, I turned to my son and said, "This is going to be six. And I genuinely felt the way they were playing that this is going to be an embarrassment. And when it came to half time, it's quiet at first, and then all of a sudden. Uh, the supporters started singing You Never Walk Along and it was massive apparently they had it in the dressing room and Rafa was giving his chat and when they came out um, I still didn't think we'd get the game back but when Gerard scored that first goal and when he came back to the pit the centre with his arms swinging like come on lads you know um, a little bit of hope in the tummy you know and then right away when when Smyser uh, uh, scored the second goal we were going ballistic it's still a long way to go and we didn't think of course then we were at the opposite end from where Gerard was pulled down for the penalty so we saw him go down but we didn't know that any penalty was given and then can you imagine when uh, Alonso took the penalty he missed it I mean the keeper had been a fantastic save and you were going like a wave but you were going oh no and then jump and put the rebound in the whole thing was just amazing and then the way how, how, how they didn't score the winner I don't know because they were on top of us we were getting tired Carragher was running himself into the ground. Most of them were. And then Jersey Dude made that amazing double save from uh, the Russian striker. I forget his name. Was now. it Shevchenko? Shevchenko. Yeah, it was just an incredible save. And as soon as that ball was saved, it went over the bar. I said to my son, we'll win this. We will win this. It's written in the stars. And uh, of course we did. We went on to win it. And uh, my favourite moment is the photograph we had at the end. I think it's in the book. Um, Gavin and myself, um, just ecstatic. I've got a red scarf on, man. I was back being a supporter again. But I did worry, I did think to myself, all the people that had gone before, you know, would have been so nice. Uh, Shankly and Paisley and I could have seen that because um, it was such a wonderful occasion. And the atmosphere after, it was very late. It was past midnight, I think. One in the morning or something when the game finished over there. And uh, the Turkish fans were running alongside, giving us beer, putting beer into the windows of the coaches. Oh, great. Because uh, they, were, they were all behind Liverpool for whatever reason. Um, so it's just an amazing trip, you know. And the opposite was two years later when my son and I went to um, Athens and we lost 2-1. And at the end of the game, our plane didn't arrive. Um, it, was a, it was a chartered plane and they hadn't paid for the fuel or whatever. So we were left without any transfer back to the UK. And we could hear the Milan fans all singing the other side of the airport. We were in by this tent, didn't know what we were going to do, ready to bed down on the tarmac. Outside the tent, and then my son works in the area. He works in the airline industry, BOA, BA assistance, yes. and he managed to wangle it. A spare seat. I don't know how he did it. I had a blue badge on. I went through customs and anything. Nobody stopped me. Stay on the plane. I was one seat to the back, near to the stewards, and he told me to sit in there. And we got back. But uh, that was we were gutted there because I thought we played better than Athens, and we did in Istanbul, and we lost two one. Okay, Dirk scored the late goal, gives a bit of hope, but it was too late. It was you this Kaká, yeah, 2007. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful player. Kaká was, you know. But, I mean, it's, it was great, uh, Istanbul. I mean, very difficult to envisage that happening again. I mean, it, well, it did happen again in Barcelona game, in Anfield, in a way. Which, again, we, I we missed. Were... I, was, I was at a gig and I was following the update and I almost couldn't believe it. And then, of, of course, you do believe it. Because belief yeah. is what this football club is about. The right manager, bear in mind, he left Mainz of his own accord. He left Dortmund of his own accord, having changed the club. He'll be at yeah. Liverpool for as long as he wants. And then the succession plan is obviously Gerrard 
to become the manager. Yeah, yeah he'll stay there until 225, I think, or 224, bidding accidents, when he sees his contract out, and then he'll move on, I think, having done what he wanted to do and achieve a bit more success than he has done now, even, I think, to be honest. Yeah, he, I mean, Corbett's a needless thing to Shankly, no question. He's a different accent, and that's all. The character is the same. He understands the Liverpool people. He knows we make some tick. Shankly always used to tell us we've got to win for these people because they work in the factories, they work in the, in the docks you know, all week, mundane jobs, and the big thrill of their life is to come to Anfield and they're all one big family, so you can't let them down. You know? and I think Klopp is the same. I think he sees exactly the same. Um, and he's, I think he's wonderful. I mean, his personality is fantastic. You know, I mean, he's done wonders this year to get us to third, I think. I mean, to do it with, with kind that. of two rookie centre-backs... And managing a midfield with the knowledge that Vinaldum was going to go, I think this has been known for months. Uh, yeah, and yeah. but Tiago is coming in, and Tiago was Guardiola's pet. So you'd have hoped Tiago yeah. would have had a better season, but injuries have hit him. So if you're missing um, Tiago and you're missing Van Dijk, that's your creation yes, and your back. Um, and thank goodness you've got a goalkeeper who can pop up at the yeah. other end and head the ball in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Henderson as well. We've missed him for quite a while yes. the season. Um, he's a key player as well. But I mean, yeah, you're right about Thiago is a wonderful player. The last month, I think these last 10 games, he's came into his own. And when you watch him spraying the ball about and controlling the midfield and some of the forward passes, he's going to be a revelation next year. I'm sure he is. He, he was injured against Everton in the same game. And Bigford he was, yes. Van yes, he was. That took him out for weeks. And it's a new country, a new club. So it was obvious he was going to take time, but... Oh, I'm just looking at him now. Harvey puts a pass wrong. I can see where Guardiola uh, rated him because, uh, he, and I think he loves Liverpool as well. He's, the thing is, these guys have never had a chance to play in front of a crowd yes. at Anfield. Even even Saturday was only ten thousand there. So next season, when they get the fifty-four thousand back, fingers crossed, um, it's, it's going to be brilliant for them. You know, I mean, to play in front of even like Salah and them. You know, they must have missed it like anything to go, to go from winning the league by twenty points for the 50-odd thousand to suddenly be playing on an empty stadium. And I think that was one big reason why Liverpool lost the home games. And it wasn't just Liverpool, Everton were the same. I mean, Everton have won more. The last time Everton won 11 away games, they won the league. And this year, they've lost about 10 home games. No, it's awful. Liverpool lost four or five after Christmas against lower-end teams like West Brom and Burnley and Fulham and people like that. Now... That would never have happened, I don't think, um, if the crowd had been there. And also Real Madrid. I think we'd have beat Real Madrid uh, in the European Cup because I think they would have folded because it was nil-nil. It was a nil-nil, I think, they drew at Anfield and we got knocked out on mm-hmm. the way. So I think, you know, that, that the crowd had a huge effect on the lack of it. And not year, just, So Liverpool and Everton, so you're saying that whenever a Merseyside team plays at home, they're effectively playing with 12 men? Ah, yeah, I think so, yeah, because of the passion. Especially Anfield. I mean, I can't talk so much for Goodison, although Goodison can be a hotbed if they can't get behind the team. But certainly, you've only got to look at the European games at Anfield. I mean, you know, not just not just the Barcelona game, but other ones as well. The Dortmund game. We came back, I think, from 1-4-3, didn't we? Um, I think it was Dortmund a few years ago. And there's been loads. You know, the, 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 the atmosphere in a European night, it's unsurpassed. Um, and our cops buzzing. I mean, I know I'm biased. I mean, I'm 60 years a Liverpool fan, five years a player, so I'm going to be biased. But uh, there's not many stadiums in the world, and I think even Arsene Wenger and other people have said the same thing. Marino, uh, none of them like coming to Anfield. It's not an easy ride. The closest thing I've come 
is when I saw a couple of the Hillsborough games um, with the testimonials. Um, and at one yeah. of them, Gerard jokingly slipped over because uh, he wanted yeah. a cheer from the crowd. So he's, he's owning his mistake. But the Brendan Rodgers season, I don't know what your view on St. Brendan is, but he's won an FA Cup with Leicester, helped by Luis Suarez, or as I call him, Liverpool's bastard. You, you almost did it, but ultimately you were Mourinho'd to the finish. And I suppose the glory of almost winning it set in motion uh, the Klopp years. So maybe Brendan has a greater impetus uh, in the last decade of Liverpool than one should think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he did. We did a good job at Liverpool. And I think uh, Rafa Benitez as well came close. I think he finished second. Yeah, a couple um, times, yeah. So, you know, I mean, we've been close. We weren't close enough. And uh, Klopp's done it. He said when he came, he said, give me four years. And he said, I'll get the title for you. And he did it. You can't take that away from him. You know, he's, he, I loved it when he said, I am the normal one. <laughs> and Marino was saying, the true one. Um but I think there's a fair bit of respect amongst the managers in the, in the top leagues, I think. Um, you know, they all know it's a hard job. I say it's a hard job. It is a hard job. It's a pressure job. But they get well rewarded. I mean, the likes of Marino has made more money out of being sacked than he had been out of being a manager. It's disastrous. Imagine, he. you know, when he said Arsene Wenger was a specialist in failure, Wenger yeah. only got sacked once. Exactly. And he, exactly. even then he was kind of eased towards the exit. Yeah, that's right. He's a wonderful manager. I mean, he proved over the years when he had that great team earlier on, you know. And he needed, I mean, to be honest, these managers, they, they do need the support of the board of directors. They need the money to buy the players they want to buy. Oh, it's awful. I said to somebody this morning, I wonder if Guardiola would have been so good if he was managing Southampton or Burnley or, or Fulham. Because or, every, every club this manager has been a top team and loads of money. Barcelona, what was the other ones? I forget the Munich. other ones, but they've all been Yeah, huge clubs. And then, of course, City have got unlimited supply of money. I mean, they're backed by a country. So, I mean, you know, it's very difficult to match City in terms of the wealth they've got. And to be fair, the, the people that own City have done a good job. I mean, they've revolutionised Manchester. Yes. They've some wonderful facilities. So nobody can take it away. They're not just... I was surprised when they got involved in that um, European Super League because they had nothing to prove. They don't need the money. And I think they realised pretty quickly and jumped off the ship. None of them should have ever got on the ship, of course. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. They were pretty good in the 70s. Colin Bell, Mickey Summerby. Yeah, yes. They were not bad. Yeah, it's low. Yeah, but then they got relegated. They went right down to third division. Yeah. And they came back up again. So it's only in the last, it's only since the Arabs took them over that they've turned the corner. You can, you can balance it right from when United Arab Emirates took the club over. That's when they started to be successful. And they were paying £50,000 each for two fullbacks. They operate in a completely different world. We're talking before the Champions League final. I think it falls on the exact anniversary that in 1999 they went up from the third tier. Now, with a kid who wasn't even born then, Foden, yeah. uh, they're, they're yeah. rising up. It's Sergio Aguero's last match day for Man City, so yes. by this time he will have gone. Yeah. When you watch the modern player on uh, telly, are they noticeably different athletes? from the ones from 1965? Yes, I would say so, yes. Yeah, you've got people like Marnie when he's at his best pace. It's all about pace. To be fair, it's the same in my day, relatively speaking. The strikers, the good strikers, the good forward had pace. George Best had pace. You know, he could leave the defence. Jimmy Johnson at Celtic. Every, every, all these great players in, 
you know, Maradona, they, they all had pace. They could outpace the defenders. I mean, you watch Maradona playing against England in the World Cup. He went past about five of them like they were on treacle when he scored that wonderful goal. Not the hand of God one, the other one. Yeah, the other one. So basically, I think, you know, it was still the same. The, the, the quality was in, in, in the pace. If you had people up front with pace, that's where they were good. Dennis Law, people like that. That's no different. But what I do know today, the players are definitely fitter. They've got better diets. I was watching a documentary, actually, this morning about Manchester United. It's just come up on Sky. And it's very good, actually. And Steve Bruce and all those guys playing for Alex Ferguson, they used to go down the pub together. Yeah. They all went down for a bond session. I did a party in Ron Atkinson's house to celebrate him getting sacked. So, I mean, the players used to have a drink, a few pints in those days. Yeah, they, people play for Liverpool like Racer Rudding. You never get away with that now. You know, six, five or six pints and going to play on a Saturday. Well, they didn't, I mean, did they? Because guys... they were golfers. Hansen was a golfer. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He loved his golf, a little handicap. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, you couldn't get away with it now because the thing is, so high pressure. You've got social media, you've got television, you've got press, you've got all these cameras watching the games. One mistake and you're finished. I mean, you imagine this pressure on these kids at the back. Yeah, not Phillips and uh, Williams. Well, sorry, it's different for Phillips because he's from he's Jimmy Phillips' son, so he knows what it what it's like. But yeah, the pressure on the pitch. Well, yeah, because any bad pass, if they give the ball away in the score, Liverpool don't get to Europe. I mean, it's like like Carius in the European Cup uh, when we lost, and he dropped those two balls in the net. It was never the same again. Finished him. Two bad mistakes. You know the one I'm talking about? The one Gareth Bale scored the overhead kick. Yeah, um, yeah he calmed it in. And uh, he first goal, he just, he just fumbled it. He tried to kick it, a pass, tried to pass it out, and hit it against Benzema. the guy's leg. Yeah, and Liverpool were one down when they were the better team at the time. And then next minute, he bail hits one and it just goes through his hands. Well, he, it wasn't long before he was out of the team and it wasn't long before he was transferred. It got, he's playing for some obscure European team now, isn't he? I don't know what he's doing. It can be so cruel, football at this level now. You can't afford to make mistakes. Come back to haunt you. But that's not well, brilliant. If you, because if you're at work and you spill some tea on a computer, you're not. You're going to be probably some of the computer will be docked from your wage. But at elite level sport with this pressure, it's all about noise. You've just got to mask yeah. out the noise, and perhaps what. Uh, Fagin, Paisley, Moran's teams were great at and why they won yeah. over a 20-year period uh, was just... Well, obviously, they were the best players in the country playing in the best system with the best fans. But there must yeah. have been something about that, just knowing to block out all the nonsense. Yeah, you have to do that. I mean, I've played in front of 30,000, 40,000 as well, Aberdeen, South Africa, and also, um, you know... And whenever you play, we played Rangers for Aberdeen. It was a full house in Aberdeen. I remember it was my first game, my first game in the big league, if we would call it, when we played against a team like Glasgow Rangers with nine internationals at home in Aberdeen. You know, you can hear the you hear the studs on the dressing room floor next door when they're you know, we're banging the studs doing the exercises. You run onto the pitch in the sunlight and you see all the faces. And if you let that get to you, you never play. You have to. You're quite right. You have to blanket out like you're playing a game in the park with your mates. And just be natural, because to be fair, you do you do forget about the crowd. I mean, once you start, I mean, it's only maybe a bit announced before a big game. But once you get on the pitch and let your natural ability flow, I think most footballers would say that at the elite level, they don't really hear the crowd unless they score a goal when they're running to run into them. You know, or, um, it's like in any 
big sport. I think you've got to just uh, forget you're playing for the stakes you're playing for. But you see, you're saying about spilling on a computer, but if the goalkeeper spills a ball in the net, it costs his employers millions. Mm-hmm. Because the difference between getting into European Cup and not would be millions. And if it's your fault that you've done that, you're going to live with you forever. You know, same as if you score a wonderful goal and you win the game, you'll live with you forever. Two sides of the coin. I often ask people what's more important, the 90 minutes when you're playing or the 1,000-odd minutes when you're not. And you are 24-7. Uh-huh. I know that, that really applies to fans and who, people who love the game. But if you are employed uh, to win matches and make money for your team so that they can afford better players, it's just it's a yeah. completely different sport at the elite level as you saw yes. with the money ball and John Henry coming in and the, the unfortunate reign of, I'm not going to say their names, but they were both American yeah. and they almost drove the club into the ground. Yes, the, precisely. And that, that gives Cowboys a good name as well. Throughout 60 years of loving this football club, you have always been George Scott, comma, ex-Liverpool player. I suppose every time you wake up, is that what you think? I used to play for Liverpool. Yeah, we're not just Liverpool. Of course, I played for Aberdeen, which was a big club for me as far as I was concerned. Precisely, because it's your... Yep. How, how close to Pataudry did you grow up? Well, not far, but it's not that big a city. Um, you can see it from our house, really. Down uh, a cottage. You can stand on the hill behind it and you can see the, the stadium uh, just off the beach because it's down by the beach. One end's called the beach end. Oh. One end's called the, um, the King Street end. So, you know, the beach end is where the big... Like, it's the edition of the cop. At Aberdeen, the way the stadium is now. And when I was a kid, maybe we were getting 30,000 there, you know. And I was all set for a huge career at Aberdeen, and I think it was such a shame. I got injured at a very bad time. I never really recovered from that when I was at Aberdeen. But uh, that can happen, of course, to a lot of players. Van Dyke at the moment, still got to prove his fit again when he comes back. Booster. In my day, when you did your cruciate ligaments, you, couldn't, you didn't have the treatment you get today. So I was out for six months. And it eventually finished me, which I was going great guns up to then. But that's how it works sometimes. You've yeah. got to just fight back. Did that happen to anyone else in the 62-3 reserves and youth team? Did anyone have their career curtailed in their early 20s? Not really, no. I, didn't, I mean, it happened to me when I was at Aberdeen. I was in 1965. But I fought back from it. So, you know, I got back to South Africa and that, read, that got me back. Because that's South Africa was huge over there. I mean, we used to get huge crowds. And we won the league in 67, which was a great achievement. Because the Eastern, poor Elizabeth had never won it before. Johannesburg teams tend to win it. There's a big team called Highland Spark used to win everything. And we had quite a few British players playing for them as well. Mm-hmm. You see, in South Africa, after I left, I came back to the UK. Quite a few of the ex-Liverpool players went there. Ian St. John went there, Roger Hunt, Kevin Keegan, Gordon Banks. So they all went there for the hiatus of their career for a few, for a season, maybe or half a season, or as a guest, you know. So the standard is, and of course, eventually they got the World Cup, South Africa. So they built these new stadiums. The um, Nelson Mandela Stadium in Port Elizabeth, huge. Uh, we used to play at the, the home of the cricket and rugby, where the fifth test matches were played. Oh, right. when, the, when the British Lions came to Port Elizabeth or the England cricket team, one of the test matches was always at Port Elizabeth in St George's Park Stadium. Mm. That was our home ground. So, you know, it was a great experience over there for two years. And, I, you know, and then, of course, when I came back, Shankly uh, got me fixed up at Tranmere Rovers, which was a great couple of years there as well. I enjoyed it. But, you know, I mean, my career could have taken a different turn if I hadn't been injured at Aberdeen because I was heading, I thought, for a Scottish cap, under-23 cap. What a great team that about. would have been. Who were your contemporaries in the under-23s? Oh, there were people like Willie Henderson, uh-huh. Willie Johnson, 
um, Jimmy Johnson, even Jim Smith, John Gregg, uh, quite a lot really in those days um, were good players, good Scottish teams. The real Scottish team came a bit later when they had Archie Gimmel and you know people like that, and they had Kenny Dalglish and Dennis Law and all that. You know, so there was a at one stage Scotland had a wonderful team. Beat England at Wembley, remember? Yes, um, to become world champions, famously. Yeah, yeah, the unofficial world champions. Yeah, 